0: Hello and welcome to the Girl With Grief podcast. This is your host, Emma Ward, and I'm on a mission to get grief spoken about in a more open and less awkward way. I'll be sharing my story, experience and feelings when living with grief after I suddenly lost my mum at the young age of 15. I will also be joined by some incredible guests sharing their stories. I hope this can bring you some sort of comfort, whether you laugh or cry, just remember you're not alone. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome back to the Girl With Grief podcast, we're on episode 5. Today I'm joined by the amazing Susie Bell, also known as Enthusiasm. Susie is an adventurous, positive, inspiring person who is here to share her story about losing her best friend at the age of 16. Myself and Susie became friends via the big wide world of Instagram a couple of years ago. She brings so much joy to social media. Susie is very much into health, wellbeing and brings so much positivity to all her social networking platforms. She recently starred on the show, The Bridge, and launched her own podcast that you'll hear more about later in the episode. Before we begin, I would just like to put out a trigger warning. This episode contains a discussion around suicide, so if you feel this may upset you, please skip to the next episode. I hope you enjoy. Welcome, thanks for joining me. Um, Uh, Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So rather than me doing introducing, um, I'll leave that to you so I don't miss anything because I know you've got a hell of a lot going on. Um, so just tell me a little bit about yourself and your background.
1: Yeah, so as Emma said, I'm Susie, and I'm originally from upstate New York, and I now live in the southwest of England in a tiny seaside town in Weston-Super-Mare, and everyone always asks how I ended up here, and it's a very long story that I can't get fully into, but I met my British fiancé abroad in Australia, and we fell in love, and... I ended up here. So that has been my kind of journey to England. And in general, I've traveled a lot. I went to university about eight hours away from where I grew up in the States. Um, so I went from New York to West Virginia. And that was really fun and life-changing And then I moved abroad as soon as I finished grad school. So I graduated with my master's in education and then I moved abroad to Thailand to teach English and I fell in love with traveling and (laughs) I was just so excited about seeing the world and going down a non-traditional path. I just didn't want to do life the way that everyone told me to do life. And that's kind of defined the rest Of my journey is really just making my own path. And now I am a full time entrepreneur. I have a podcast of my own called Charge My Core, and I'm a wellness coach. And yeah, I'm just working on a lot of different projects and a student of life, I like
0: to say. (laughs) Yeah, you've literally been all over then. I didn't realize you've been done the whole Asia route and traveled the whole world. That's exciting, really exciting. Yeah, yeah. A a lot of life experience. Yeah,
1: I mean I think you learn so much about yourself when you're traveling and you just look at the world differently and yeah, yeah I can't I can't get enough of it.
0: <laughs> yes. And then you're now you're in Western Supermare, the sunny, sunny England beachside. Yes. <laughs> I really do like
1: it though. I think it's underrated and it's so it's really in a good location. So it's yeah, like it is. close to Bristol and Bath and Glastonbury where my fiance's from and I really love nature and I love the seaside and the woods and everything so yeah it's a good spot for us for now
0: (laughs) yeah I was gonna say I've been there quite a few times and it is just as long as the sun's out it's perfect so can't go wrong (laughs) um so obviously we're here today to talk about grief um so do you want to just tell me a bit about who you've lost and who you want to talk about today really um yes
1: Absolutely. So, I have had grief impact my life since a very young age. I actually lost my best friend. She died by suicide when we were 16 years old. So, obviously, that's a very young age. And I know from listening to your podcasts and reading your blogs that you also lost your mom at a young age. And I think when you experience such grief, that is so traumatic and so close to you, it really does shape who you are for the rest of your life. And so for me, it's been a really transformative part of my life. And that's not the only time I've experienced grief. I've lost other people close to me and it has really led to me wanting to make a difference in the world with mental health, mental health advocacy, being open about my own mental health and supporting people and talking about suicide because it is a very unique form of grieving. It's not traditional. I mean, what is traditional grief? Every grief, you know, everyone grieves differently. But I think it's it's a heavy topic. It's hard to talk about. And I really am open about my own journey because I think it can feel really isolating when someone dies by suicide in your life. So I'd like to try to bring light to the conversation.
0: Yeah, no, I'm very glad that you're here and open and willing to do that. Um, so obviously yeah. 16 is extremely young. You're in secondary school or high school, whatever you call it in America. Um, it would have impacted your whole education life as well. Like,
1: yeah, absolutely. I it impacted everything. I was still in high school, so we were juniors in high school, and it was a really difficult age. Being 16 is hard anyway. Exactly. And, and, you know, figuring out how to be a teenager, how to, you know, what you want from life, how to define yourself. Your friends are really important to you at that time. You know, your friends are like your family when you're that young. And so losing my best friend at that age was really, really difficult. And we had a close group of friends. So the bond that I have with that friendship group is really strong. Even after all these years, it's been 14 years now. Um, And yeah, we just have a bond like nothing I've ever experienced because we went through that loss together. Luckily I went to a really small Catholic private school. I'm not Catholic, but it just happened to be where I lived in America Um, in New York. It was very, there were a lot of different neighborhoods and, Not all of them were great. Not all the public schools were really safe. And you just couldn't get the best education. So my parents decided to send me to private school, even though I wasn't (laughs) Catholic. So we went to a very small school. So luckily, we really grieved as a community. We were really open about it. And I would say that that was the very supportive way to go through the process because we never felt alone in the grief because the whole school kind of Great. knew about it and talked about it and her parents really led the way for that oh, as wow. well they were very open about their grief and they stayed very involved with her friendship group and her oh. you know graduating class yeah so they really led the way for us as the kind of adult figures Yeah. And I'm so grateful for that.
0: Yeah, that's really nice to hear because sometimes you don't, obviously in school, it's nice to hear that the whole teachers and everyone else was around you all as one because it can be a very lonely process. And at 16, it's a very young age to even process these sort of feelings. Um, So is she still in contact with her parents now?
1: Yeah, for sure. They are amazing mentors still in my life. And obviously I've lived lots of different places and travel a lot. So I haven't been face to face with them in a long time. But whenever I do visit, I try to visit the cemetery, visit her grave. Oh, okay. And they live right near the cemetery. So if, you know, I always reach out to them to see if they're up for a meeting up. And yeah. I did feel as we grew older, and I think that this is a difficult part of losing someone so young, as I grew up and as our friendship group grew up we could see in her parents and in ourselves that it was really hard that you continued to grieve because you were thinking of all the things that she didn't get to experience because her story ended at 16. and so that made it hard to navigate our relationship for a little while I felt a, a very natural kind of pulling back from them is the best way I can describe it Um, and so that was yeah that was that was a part of the process of figuring figuring it out but they are still yeah, they were, they are amazing support systems and mental health advocates themselves. They go around to the local high schools and talk about suicide and depression and anxiety in teenagers. So they're still doing their part and really inspire me to do my part too. Good. Yeah,
0: no, it is a very inspiring thing and I'm glad that you're here talking about it. Um, so what actually is your friend's name? We haven't touched on that, but it's important to put their name out. there. Yeah.
1: Her name is Corey. Corey Craig. Nice. Yes. Um, And
0: so touching back, did you, was there signs of depression and things beforehand or did it come as a sudden shock? What was the process leading up to it?
1: Yeah. So we knew that she was diagnosed with depression. I knew that she was diagnosed with depression. She was open with that about with our friendship group. And we also both connected on the fact that our moms were diagnosed with depression. And that was something, you know, 15 years ago, people weren't as open about mental health diagnosis. And, you know, even their loved ones being diagnosed, the conversations were just not as prevalent. And so it was really nice that we could connect on that. And I spoke to her so much. I've always been someone who just kind of naturally given my friends advice and support, and I'm just a, a natural helper. And so I listened to her a lot. Of the times, you know, it was when we used to have used to use house phones and we call each other on the house phone um, and have these really long, deep, and meaningful conversations. And so, I definitely had an inkling into what was going on, but the severity of the depression was not known to us. She did um, come out and say that she had thought about suicide, but this was right before um, she was getting treatment and she was getting medication. So she was in therapy, she was on medicine, and then she kind of opened up and said that that was something that she would thought about in the past. And looking back, we obviously wish that that conversation was brought to either her doctor or her parents but unfortunately when you're 16 and you know nothing about suicide it's really it's easy to say it now in hindsight but at the time it just didn't feel like that could ever be real
0: yeah yeah no and it's uh, like at 16 it would or me at my age of 16, I wouldn't have crossed my mind at all. Like even if a friend was struggling because it's not spoken about so openly, I would be like, oh, they'll talk to their parents and they're going to be okay. But especially if they are seeing a doctor. So.
1: Right. Yeah. And we, and we knew that we knew she was getting professional help. We knew she was on medication. And unfortunately at that time, it was really normal for people to joke. And I don't know if it's if it's still normal for for young people to use that language. But it was like when AOL Instant Messenger or MSN Messenger was like, everyone had, you know, the profiles and yeah. the screen names and people would use like emo lyrics. Like, you know, it was just... And then people would throw in those comments either as a joke or along with the emo lyrics on their away message (laughs) as like, oh, I'm going to kill myself or I don't, you know, I don't know if I can really go on and these kind of really dramatic things that almost became swept under the rug because they were just like a normal kind of joke. And I hope that that's not still the case. I'm really sensitive to those types of jokes, even when people like, really I know they're joking I yeah. still obviously feel a bit triggered by it because I don't think it's something to joke
0: about no 100% and it is still it's happening so much in today's world so it's it's nothing to joke about and yeah it's a it's a lot it's a lot to take in especially at 16 like I can't imagine obviously I lost my mum at 15 but losing a friend at the same time like I turned to my friends when that happened so then if I then lost one of them it's a it's a lot to deal with. So. Yeah, it,
1: it was, it was really hard to deal with and really hard to process. And I will not pretend that I did all healthy things mm-hmm. to cope. Um, I definitely turned to partying. I definitely turned to going out and drinking through my pain, smoking through my pain and, and I had really unhealthy coping mechanisms and now I look back at that oh yeah sorry right. <laughs> now I look back at that version of myself and I feel a lot of empathy a lot of sympathy yeah. and I, I was just doing what I knew how to do in that yeah. moment. And luckily, so that we were all going together as a family and we all sat down, my entire family, and we sat down in the therapist's office. And then the therapist was like, okay, I'm going to ask everyone to leave except for Susie. And I oh, was wow. like, what? So they basically knew that I wouldn't go and seek professional help at that age willingly. they just knew how I was at the time. And they tricked me into it. And I was so angry. I was so angry at the time. And I just didn't want to be there. I didn't want to talk to a therapist. I didn't feel like I needed to. And now I am so, so grateful that they did that. I was gonna say that,
0: is is your view changed on that? Because, yeah. Yeah.
1: And now I'm a huge, huge advocate for proactive mental health, for normalizing therapy, for not just going to therapy in a crisis. I have a counselor right now, and it doesn't mean that I'm in a crisis. It means that life is hard, pandemics are hard. You know, it's so nice to have that safe space to get out your feelings, to process your emotions, to really be open and not worry about troubling your loved ones or your friends. And I'm a huge advocate for therapy. I absolutely love it. But like I said, I also didn't have, all of my coping wasn't necessarily healthy. And I think that it's important for us when we talk about grief, to be honest about that, that, you're not always going to process in the healthiest way. You're going to do what you know in that moment. And I think it's important not to hold shame or judge yourself for how you cope and and what you need to do or to let go of um, in that, in that kind of really
0: important, tragic, Yeah, you know. It it is a trauma. Yeah. Yeah, It's like a trauma in your life. So it's, I think, to actually process it with a cancer and stuff, it takes a lot because I put it off for many, many years. I was just like, nope, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And obviously, as a busy teenager, I just kind of put it, put it back to my mind and was like, "Yep, yeah, that's fine, I'll be strong for everyone else. But then eventually it did hit and it hit hard. So it's like, it's always going to be with you. So you are you need to process it at some stage. And I think I also turned to drinking quite a bit um, as a teenager. I was always out partying. And looking back on it, obviously at the time, that was what I wanted to do. And my family accepted that and was like, let me get on with life. But I'm glad now that I've seen it in a different light and can actually process it properly and look at it in a kind of a level head, I would say.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think it's really important too, when we think about when we were processing at that time is you know, when you first find out you're in shock. And so your body is doing that to protect you, right? Like it's a psychological mechanism that your body is giving you adrenaline and is making sure that you don't feel all of those feelings at once. And that's why anyone who has experienced grief close to them, we know that it never goes away, right? And if you are using unhealthy mechanisms at the start, because that's all you know how to do, that's, that is just masking the feeling. It's not making the feeling go away. So I partied for a lot of years, a lot of years. And that grief was still very prevalent. Luckily, I had therapy as well. And I really turned to writing as well. That was something... That's where my passion, that's where my blog started. I found that... The only way that I could make sense of my emotions and my grief was to get it out of my head and onto paper. And I started to share it, but a lot of it is just for myself. I've never shown it to anyone. And I really suggest that anyone who's going through grief of any type of losing any type of person is, is just getting your thoughts out of your head, whether it be in therapy or writing them down in a journal or typing it out starting a blog and talking to other people like Thank this podcast know. is so brilliant you know because it can feel so isolating when you're grieving but yeah. everyone grieves differently but there are a lot of commonalities between grief of all
0: types I think yeah no I fully agree with that like whatever the situation is there's still always going to be the same emotions you go through and the way people deal with things so yeah no, I think that's really good so how long after did you get therapy
1: I think it was about a month or two. Okay, so it's a Yeah, not not long. And again, I wouldn't have done that myself. It's yeah. because my parents tricked that's me that's into it. it. And at the time, I felt so much anger and I still was resistant. Like they signed me up to go every two weeks and I I couldn't drive yet. Like I was just getting my um driver's license at yeah. the time. And so I had to like ride with my dad. And I remember just being such an angry teenager, like in the car yeah. on the way. Um, and then I really, he would ask, you know, after each session, he's like, do you want to go back? And it got to a point where I was kind of like, "Uh, like I wanted to say no, but I knew that it was actually it's helping, helping me. Yeah. So, so I, I kept going for, I would say about, Six months consistently, oh, wow. okay. yeah, every two weeks, and then and then, yeah, I kind of processed what I could at that point, yeah. and then I really relied on my writing, and like I said, unhealthy coping mechanisms yeah. and the community support of because we had lost her and we went to such a small school, that community support really. Su- supported my grieving
0: process because everyone kind of understood what was happening yeah do you think that's why you're so open about it today because you held felt like the community and all of their aspects helped you so much that that's why you're here today telling your story
1: absolutely that's exactly why and that's exactly why i keep talking about grief all the time you know i i i write a blog post on Corey's anniversary every single year. And I really try to reach out to people when they lose a loved one. I feel a very deep need to help because I know how much that community support helped me. And in my experience with grief in adulthood, after losing Corey, Corey's not the only person I've lost, but now I really... I really just try to recreate that experience because for me without that support I just don't know how I would have survived right. yeah the pain
0: yeah that's the thing is you know the pain that someone else is feeling so if anything you can get back and give back and help someone else that's yeah no it's incredible really um, yeah so let's rewind a bit um do you want to tell me about the moment that you found out and where you was and if, you, if yeah. you can remember and reflect on it. Oh,
1: of course I can remember that day. And when, when I listened to your episode one and you were ta- going through the story, I was like, wow, that is so true about how it kind of feels like it's a dream and it's like in slow motion almost. And I will never forget that day for the rest of my life. And unfortunately she did reach out to her friends yep. the night before. Oh, okay. And yep. she no one knew that she was reaching out individually, so everyone thought that they had just gotten their own message. And at the time I had my text messaging turned off because that was oh, back wow. in in the early 2000s when you had to pay like per message. Yeah. And I had racked up this crazy like $300 bill, and my dad was like, "Nope, that's it. Your texting cut is cut off." <laughs> oh. So I had no texting on my flip phone. And so I didn't receive a text, but I saw that she had called me in the middle of the night and I had a voicemail from her. And so I was chronically late to high school. Like I was always in trouble for being late. And yeah. I was I was starting to get to a point in that junior year where I was actually like, they were going to do something about it because I just kept being late for school. And so I was a great student. I had great grades, but I just couldn't get to school on time. No time keeping. (laughs) No, (laughs) which is, um, you know, carried on into my adult life is that's why I work for myself is because, you know, I'm, I'm either super early. I just hate rushing. I just hate rushing in general. Um, but but anyway, so she had left me a voicemail and then she called me again in the morning and I answered the phone and I spoke to her. So as we know it, I'm the last person who spoke to her.
0: Oh, wow, okay, And
1: yeah. so, yeah, so that is really difficult. Yeah, and she told nuts. me that, that, that morning that she had had a assignment from her therapist that if she had 24 hours to live, who would she reach out to? What friends would she talk to? What would she say? What would she, what would be important for them to know? Mm -hmm. And I know hearing that now, again, in hindsight, you're like, that's a huge red flag.
0: Yeah. I wouldn't say red flag, but But it gives you goosebumps that knowing that you were one of the ones that she reached out to.
1: Absolutely. And to me, Knowing her and knowing the type of deep conversations we had, even at that age, it wasn't that weird for her to be open with me about something that her therapist hasn't had encouraged her to do. And so as much as I was like, I had this gut feeling... I kind of just pushed it down and it was just a normal Monday morning. I was late for school. I couldn't find my uniform. I didn't iron my uniform. Like, you know, it was just like there was a stain on my polo shirt. Like it was just Completely normal. Yeah. Right. And so I spoke to her and she said, did you listen to my voicemail? And I was like, no. And she was like, okay. I was just saying what I've said to you now. And I just want to say, I'm so grateful for you. You've always been such a good friend to me. And I just can't imagine my life without you all of these really kind things. And I'm like, thanks. You know, thanks, Corey. I love you too. Of course. Like, I can't wait to see you later at school. And she's like, every Monday she was late for school because that's when she went to therapy. So she's like, yeah, I'm going to be late for school. I'll see you, you know, fourth period or something. We had class together. Yeah, And she's like, I'll be in, in school by then. And then we got to school and slowly we kind of all started figuring out that multiple people had messages from her. Oh, wow. Okay. And so different friends had these messages and then everyone started getting really concerned. And someone went to the school guidance counselor, like social worker, and we informed her parents. And then I was in, it was the end of the day and and the whole day I just had this sick, sick stomach feeling And I know that my gut feeling when I was on the phone with her and I was rushing was that she wasn't okay. And I ignored that feeling and I had to deal with a lot of regret and guilt because of that.
0: Yeah. that was
1: tough. Um, and yeah, it was, it, it's really, really hard to even process that day Because it was all like the the puzzle pieces slowly fit together. And so the principal of our school came over the announcement system, the loudspeaker, and said, could all the juniors please report to the cafeteria? And that was his voice, like monotone, very low. And Mm -hmm. I remember, and now this is all in slow motion in my brain and in my memory, I stood up. And obviously we were in class, like I wasn't allowed to just run out of the class, but I just stood up and I sprinted to the cafeteria and I, I came into, uh, you guys don't have those in England, do you, (laughs)
0: cafeteria? We have like canteen type things, but they're a little different, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's like the movies and I, and I go into this open, huge cafeteria and I see the principal of our school and he's standing against the wall with his head down, like looking at his hands yeah, and leaning against the wall. And I, and I was like, tell me what's going on. You knew. Didn't, you? Yeah, you didn't yeah, say. I knew. And I said, tell me what's going on, it was really forceful. Like I was being so rude. And he was like, just please sit down, wait for your classmates, we'll all talk together. And I was like, tell me what's going on. And I was just like, rage that was rage. actually building up inside of me. And I was like, and then I started to swear, which, like, you can't (laughs) swear at your principal. But I was like, tell me what the The fuck is going going. on. And I remember that, like, other students were walking into the cafeteria Mm -hmm. and, like, looking at me. Because no one, you know, no one else in our class knew. A few of us who had gotten messages did. And so the nurse, the school nurse, came in. And I was just, I was like raging. I was so man. upset. Yeah. And she took me into her office. And okay. I was just like, tell me what's happening, tell me what's going on. I'm not waiting for everyone to come. Yeah. And, and then she, you know, took me into one of the like patient rooms and sat me on the bed. And the bed was so cold and the room was so cold, and the what the walls were so white. And I just remember feeling like so uncomfortable in that room. And, but her, the nurse was so sweet and she was holding my hand. And I remember her hand felt so warm and it was really wrinkly. And I was just like, (laughs) oh, like it just felt so nurturing her hand. So it was like really, it was really, all the sensations were really heightened. Yeah. And so she was like, Corey, didn't make it, you know, she's, she's gone. And I don't, I don't, I don't remember exactly how she worded it, but she Mm -hmm. knew that I already knew. Yeah. And then I just started to scream. No, no. And I, I didn't, I, I didn't think about how other people were reacting. I didn't think about what was socially acceptable. What happened to me was just actual... Like, it just came out and I was just screaming. And I was just like, no, no. And I ran into the hallway and I was just screaming no. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, I went to a Catholic school. So there was a few nuns that, that worked there. And one of the nuns like tried to grab me by the arm because I was looking for our other best friends. So there was four of us that were like very close best friends. Yeah. And I was looking for Aaron and Shelly. And I was like, where are Aaron and Shelly? Because I was like, I don't want to be in a room full of her classmates who are acquaintances. Like I want to be with the people who feel the pain that I'm feeling. Yeah. And I was like, where are Aaron and Shelly? Where are Erin and Shelly? And I was just still screaming, like out of control. And the, the one nun like grabbed me by the arm and led me into the school office and like this back room. I've never seen this room before and Aaron and Shelly were in there and they were both sobbing and there was a few different staff members from our school in there trying to calm us down, give us water. And we always joke about this this room and this scene yeah. now but at the time the emotions were so real but they were like handing us bottled water and we were like throwing the water and we were like <laughs> knocking hooks off the table and like oh. literally like uncaged yeah. animals and that, that that whole experience is just like something out of a movie but it, I just didn't I just didn't know what to do with that kind of news.
0: I think at that that time you can't control any emotions. Like you can't be composed. Whatever comes out of your body at that time just comes out of your body. And I think everyone does understand that. So I can't believe they told you at school though. I didn't realize that. Like, yeah, yeah. that's a lot to take on in front of everyone
1: totally and i'm really glad
0: that i
1: was in the nurse's office yeah. even though i still had such a dramatic reaction that everyone saw yeah. and that my classmates still to this day are like i just remember you screaming and screaming and i just i couldn't control it i just couldn't control that feeling because you just you're in that shock you're in yeah. that denial and of course, for me, in that immediate moment, I was just thinking of the conversation we had that I just spoke to her that morning and that gut feeling that I knew that something was wrong. And I just couldn't... My 16-year-old brain c- I could not process that. Yes. And yeah, it was, it was absolutely insane. It feels yes. like
0: a movie. Yes. It sounds like a movie, but I feel like all, all stories like this that you hear, it does, it's just... Your body just takes over. There's no thought process. Your body just takes over. Yeah. Um, so then, did you then go home from school? Like, did you have to then tell your parents and stuff? Because obviously, then relaying that information kind of makes it all feel a bit real. Right. So it still wasn't the end of the school day.
1: But again, because we had such a small school community and because everyone knew about it and everyone was finding out the the school day just kind of ended and all of our parents started to come pick us up. And so my parents were both teachers. So I always uh, either drove to school and rode the bus back or had a friend drive me home. And so I can't, I think someone picked me up for school that day. And so I was supposed to ride the bus home or have a friend bring me, but my parents ended up picking me up and... I was just so, I was horrible to my parents. I I was really, I had so much anger. That was like my initial response, um, and denial and just screaming, screaming and just really reacting
0: with so much emotion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So so then obviously that was a very traumatic day in school. Um, did you guys all go to the funeral? I was obviously 16, a funeral is hard to deal with. So Yes. Because it's so, kind of like, you're kind of in denial, I feel, until the funeral. So that's when it hit me personally. So what was your experience with that? Yes.
1: Yeah, so it was on a Monday that she passed away. And so we didn't go into school again, I think for an entire week. Mm-hmm. And all the teachers were so understanding, so supportive and we actually, and we couldn't be alone in processing. So Aaron and Shelly and I just had sleepovers together and we rotated houses because obviously our parents wanted to support us and be yeah. there. So we had sleepovers for a week straight oh, that's and lovely. then the funeral was the next week. And I remember we were like barely showering. Like we were just crying and then laughing and telling stories. And it would go through the motions of being like, oh, this is like a treat to be, you know, just having sleepovers and hanging out 24 seven. But then we would remember why we were doing it. And we actually spoke at the funeral, me, Erin, and Shelly. So we read the poem, I Carry Your Heart. Okay. And yeah. so that has, have you heard that? No, I haven't. I'm going to have to definitely, have, a really? listen. I definitely uh, have
0: to read it when yes. I watch this.
1: Yeah. It's by E.E. E. Cummings. I carry your heart and it's a beautiful poem and we found it and then we started getting signs from her. So I don't know if you okay. believe in signs, no, you know, and I'm I know not, not everyone does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's totally fine. I know not everyone believes in it, but I really do believe in it. And yeah. so we started getting heart symbols from her love hearts. Wow. And I still get those to this day. That's and I'll lovely. ask her for them and then get them. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes it's just like a rock that looks like a heart and it's like, Oh, heart is such a common shape, but it's like, but why did I look in that spot? You know, why did I ask for it and then see it? Like, so I
0: find that so comforting.
1: Oh, absolutely. And yeah, we read the poem at the funeral and we did a big wake as well. So like the viewing yeah. and there were thousands of people there because Corey was such a popular girl. She had so many friends. She was a cheerleader. She was well well loved and liked and had so many people who cared about her. And everyone, you know, who didn't really know the ins and outs of her life we had to deal with a lot of hurtful questions because of the nature of, of her passing, because it was suicide. And people would ask, you know, what did she have to be sad about that? What did she have to be sad about? And I'm like, what? You know, and they're like, oh, she was so pretty. She was so popular. She was so, she had everything going for her. And I was like, you obviously don't understand depression. Like and it's not a choice. It's just it's not just you don't ask,
0: especially after suicide. Right.
1: you've got to be sensitive. Yeah, we got a lot of insensitive questions at like during the during the wake even. People oh, coming wow. to pay their respects and then asking really, you know, just unhelpful questions. Yeah. And that itself the wake felt so difficult and like a dream still kind of in that slow motion yeah we really loved that we could read that poem and be a part of yes, her funeral and we all wore sparkly shoes as well because she was uh, like very extra yeah um uh, so we wore we wore all black of course but we wore black Sparkly shoes, and yeah. they were like, I mean, I would never wear them now, but they, <laughs> at the time, we were like, Corey, really like this. Yeah. Um, and we all got matching necklaces as well. Oh, that's lovely. In, in the shape of a heart, yeah. and on the back it had her initials and then it said, I carry your heart. Oh. And so we all had those and we gave one to her mom and we actually gave one to her as well. So that's yeah. what she wore in her casket. Okay. So oh, That's
0: lovely. That's really nice. Uh, how are Erin and Shelley today? Are they, have they dealt with it and are they open yeah. to talk about things? They're all good. Yeah. We've all, we've all dealt with it in different
1: ways, but I'm still friends with them. They'll, you know, be my friends forever. I haven't seen them in a long time. Yeah. Uh, because they, yeah, they live in our hometown. Yeah. But yeah, we, we all went through our own kind of journeys with grieving. We grieved together while we were still in high school, but then we all went to different universities. Shelly went to Florida. I went to West Virginia. Aaron went to Pennsylvania. I forget how big America is. I forget how big it is. Yeah. So, I know. So we, we had a whole new friendship groups and, you know, had to deal with it in our adult life, but yeah, they, they are still doing well and we still talk about it really openly and keep her memory alive, which I think is really important. Yeah. I think that's one of the most
0: important things. Just keep them there and always talk about them. Um, so how do you think losing, um, yes. how do you think losing them has changed you as a person in today's world?
1: So losing Corey at 16 transformed my entire life. I can't imagine who I would be without that pain. Mm -hmm. It taught me a real sense of empathy at such a young age. And just, especially because she died by suicide, just understanding that you never know what someone's going through. You never know what they've been through. You never know what's happening in their head and what kind of you know, barriers or burdens that they've had to carry. And so it's really allowed me to lead, lead my life with kindness and really embody that. And I got a tattoo for her. We all got tattoos for ah, her. That was nice. And I got it on my foot and it says cherish every day. And I think losing her at 16 taught me that life is just so short and that you know You don't know how long you have, but you also don't know how long the people that you love have. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just about you doing what you want to do. It's also about cherishing those relationships, cherishing, you know, the silly moments that mean nothing at the time, but that actually really do mean everything. And it has definitely led me to my career, which, you know, first was teaching and now is empowering women with wellness coaching and really helping women to work on self-love through fitness and nutrition and mental health and really knowing that, you know, we all have times in our lives where we aren't coping with things in the most positive manner, like as I explained (laughs) with the grief and the partying. And I just really believe that if we can be open about what we go through in our lives, that we realize that we aren't alone and that we all have shit. Even if people, if you think people don't understand you, you just maybe haven't found the right people yet and that's okay. You know? And so it's, it's really changed literally everything for me.
0: I think as well, I think, all of your social media and stuff as a person you really do come across that you don't, don't take your life for granted at all and you just you do look like you just enjoy every moment possible and just cherish as much as you can so it's really refreshing to see on social yeah. media
1: Aw, thanks that's nice to hear and and I really try you know and it's like I think people sometimes because my Social media, my blog is called Enthusiasm, and obviously there's lots of stereotypes about Americans and living and adjusting to the culture in England. Is like people are like, oh, you're so happy, you're so positive, and they're they're almost confused by it. And I'm like, I lean into this joy because I know how badly life. Can hurt, can you know. Yeah. It's like I've had both sides of the spectrum, yeah. and I'm actually an Enneagram Seven on the Enneagram personality quiz. Have you Have you uh, done that one? I
0: have done one. I can't remember the results, but work made us do it, which is quite interesting.
1: Yeah. But I am the enthusiast. That's my personality type. And my biggest fear is being stuck. And my motivator is like having fun, is making everything fun. And that's just the way that I operate. (laughs) And I think that personality existed in me before I lost Corey. But losing Corey showed me the importance of the darkness of life and the shit times and the difficult conversations and that even though I'm a positive person, I can get real deep real fast and I'm not afraid of talking about emotions. I always say feelings are cool. That's like one of my favorite hashtags that I made up Um, because I think so often we go through hard things and we think that we have to do it alone and we just don't, we just don't have to do it alone and we can find the positives in life without ignoring the hard parts. I don't plans. think that we should be, yeah, we should be positive all the time by ignoring the hard parts, but like cherishing every day to me is about embracing all the sides of life, the pain yeah. and the joy.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's oh, such a good message to put out there as well. Um. So yeah. what is, I'd say it's the one bit, but maybe you, you've probably got quite a bit of advice Um. to for someone that's currently going through or recently gone through, um, the death of a suicide close to them? Is there any certain advice that you would like to give out?
1: Yes. So the same advice I give to anyone grieving, not specifically suicide, but anyone who's lost someone, I always suggest to feel everything because oftentimes When we lose someone, especially if you're extremely close to them, like your mom or your best friend or your partner, we feel guilty for feeling the way that we feel. So when we experience joy or when we laugh about a funny memory with them, we kind of try to push those down or we don't allow uh, ourselves to feel the hard things so we don't allow ourselves to feel angry, right? Because suicide, you're probably going to at some point feel angry at the person who died by suicide because obviously it is different than a traditional accident or disease or something like that. It was at the end of the day, their choice, even though probably their mental illness led to that chemical imbalance that made them feel like that was the only choice, I think anger will come up, guilt will come up, yeah. so many different emotions will come up. And my best advice to anyone grieving is to allow yourself to feel all of the things and yeah. to not just think, I just need to be sad, or I just need to focus on how great their life was. It's a roller coaster and you just have to embrace, embrace that everything. Up- yeah. The ups and the downs. And I, what I love about this podcast and about, you know, the message you're putting out into the world is talking about them, remembering their name. Like, I yeah. love that anyone listening to this will know who Corey Craig is. Yeah. And I can't wait. I know we're going to talk about like uh, the best memory and, yeah. you know, you want to make them stay alive. And I think it's through, through their memories and through their message and, I think I've done that. And I think we've all done that for Corey If we, we kept her alive, even though she's passed when she was 16. So I think just feel all the things and talk about it. Don't, don't go inside and talk about it in whatever, maybe you're not ready to talk about it on a podcast or talk about (laughs) it on social media, but whatever way you can, don't, try to go through all of it alone. If you can get a grief counselor, if you can get a therapist, if it's just your friends that you go to, family members, whoever you can turn to, to just be honest and not try to make yourself feel a certain way. Like you don't have to feel any way. Just feel the way you feel and ride the roller coaster. That's my best advice when it comes to grief. Yeah, definitely.
0: I think that, yeah, you don't need to justify your feelings to anyone. Just embrace it all and go with whatever emotion you're feeling day by day because every day is different. Right. Absolutely. So different. And
1: still, I mean, you know, I think that it's important for us when we've experienced grief so long ago, it's important to remember that we're still processing, we're still dealing with it. We're still trying to work through our own emotions and You know, anniversaries and birthdays and holidays, everything has that twinge, that little bit of grief attached to it. And that's just the reality of, of living with grief. And I love the John Green quote. The, uh, he wrote the fault in our stars have yep. you read that or yep. seen the book yeah or definitely. the movie it's so sad oh my so gosh sad, I stop so good but he his quote is it hurts because it matters and I think that's yep. so important is that the the depth of your grief is just showing the depth of your love it's 100 yep, it's really that's why it hurts so much
0: yeah yeah So I I love that you got excited about the remembering their name and the happiest memory. So that leads me on to that question. What is your happiest memory with Corey? Yes. So my happiest memory with Corey is camping. So, like
1: I said, she was a cheerleader. She was really into makeup and hair, and she was actually very self-conscious and like really wanted, cared about her appearance. But she also had this really kind of like tomboy side to her and we really connected on that because I like girly things but I also am like get me in the woods love the adventure yes love the adventure and so the first time I ever went camping my parents we traveled tons but my parents aren't campers at all so the first time I ever went camping was with Corey and her parents and their kind of group of university friends and all their children yeah so it was like this whole new experience and this you know really girly girl who loved doing her hair. Like I just saw such a different side of her and it really helped me to embrace that side of myself too. And it was in New York. So upstate New York, about an hour and a half from where we grew up and there was really pretty like waterfalls where you could take inflatable tubes and like float down the Mm -hmm. falls and stuff. And those are really, I, I went with her, I think we went three times over the summers as, as we grew up. And so that was just the happiest I saw her. And it just. Has introduced that lifelong love for me. Convention. Like my fiance and I love camping. We love yeah. being outdoors. And whenever I do it, I just always remember her and that she's the reason why I was open minded to it. Because I yeah. definitely went through a stage in university of like only wearing heels and like you know <laughs> bondage dresses and like doing yeah. makeup and like going to the nines of like being really, really. Like, not yes, outdoorsy. Fancy, uh, yeah, Yeah. Yeah, right. And so I always remembered because I had that experience with her yeah. and because she is so important to me yeah. that that is – you can do it all, right? Yeah. You don't have to be any one thing. And – that's that memory of her camp all of our memories camping are just yeah my favorite ones
0: (laughs) I love that because I feel like because you're so outdoorsy now it must be like you kind of connect to her when you still do all these things in like your day life now so that's so nice yes
1: Absolutely. And I just spoke to a medium actually and oh, who okay. came through and she was talking about being with me as well when I dance. So she uh, like I said she was a cheerleader. Yeah. And so I do it a lot on my social media and just in real life if you know me in real life like I am always da- like I'm always someone to be like let's just have a dance party <laughs> like in the most random situations. Yeah. Uh, uh. And she said to the medium that when I am dancing, that she's connecting with my spirit. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I know. I love it too. And so it's, yeah, when I'm outdoors and when I'm dancing, I just feel like a part of her is with me. And she is definitely the driving force for my mental health advocacy and talking about being a survivor of someone dying by suicide because... It's, you know, it's hard to lose someone that way. And like I said, I think the guilt aspect, everyone is like, oh, you can't feel guilty. You can't feel guilty. And I'm here to tell you that you probably will. And that's just being really, really honest. Not that that is that you should, but that you probably will. And what do you do after that? And that's where, you know, I think it's important to have professional help. Yeah. from people who understand and not just that blanket advice of like, Oh, you can't make, you know, you can't feel guilty. And it's like, but I do. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so we need to address that. So just, yeah, if you've lost someone to suicide, I would say really trying to, to know that it's not your fault, that they did make a decision and that they were going to do it no matter what. And that is just a reality. And Corey's dad would always say, you know, cancer kills people, heart disease kills people, mental health kills people. And it just happens to be that it gets people to a place that they want to take their own life. Mm -hmm. But I think we have to think of it the same way, you know, that that is an outcome of mental illness, unfortunately. And we can do tons for suicide prevention and mental health advocacy and making these conversations normal, but that doesn't mean that suicide is, will probably ever be fully eliminated. And that, that shouldn't really be the goal. It should just be, you know, helping people see, see the light at the end of the tunnel. The tunnel. Yeah. And, yeah. and for me, that's where like proactive mental health yeah. is so important is like taking care of it before it's a crisis, getting help, learning to process your emotions, learning to talk about your feelings, not just when something goes wrong, but all the time,
0: right? It's, it's 100%. something you always be doing, not I think, just... I think as humans as well, we're always like, what's the point of talking about things unless it is this big tragedy there and then? So that's what like with my family, I've been trying to say, it. I'm like, it's okay to talk about talk to someone even what 10 years down the line it's still okay then if you want help now to get help it's like yes the best way is to talk totally totally and I think you know
1: especially in British culture I'm not sure you know how many international listeners you'll have on your podcast but being a part of British culture now and living here I find that it's a part of your culture to keep things to yourself and act like everything's okay. And that stiff upper, upper lip. And that's where I'm like, you know, sometimes I feel like, Oh my gosh, I'm that crazy American again, (laughs) talking about my feelings, but it's like,
0: but we need more people like that in the UK. And
1: you, and you realize that just because people suppress their emotions doesn't mean they don't have them. Exactly. They're still in there. They're just not talking about them. Mm -hmm. And that's why people get to that point of burnout, you know, having to go off sick with mental health, you know, with anxiety or depression and those things. And we don't want people to get to that point before they start talking. We want to just open the dialogue now, you know?
0: And that's why we're here on this podcast to make it as more normal as we possibly can. So the more people that talk, the more people that will open up. Um, exactly So one thing I just want to touch on obviously you use the word guilt quite a lot did you feel yeah. guilty that you didn't like listen to the voice note at the time or obviously at the end of the day it was her choice and whatever you had done that day probably n- tell me if I'm wrong but probably wouldn't have changed her mind right um, and it's like do you fi- find comfort it that she did reach out or I don't know.
1: I, I, I've dealt with it for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. Once I did listen to the voicemail, I knew that I have if I had heard the voicemail before I went to school, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have gone to school because the voicemail was much clearer, like it was, it, it was much clearer on the voicemail, that it was a goodbye. Okay. Yeah. than when, when I spoke to her on the phone. Yeah, and so yeah I, yeah, I had to the voicemail. Yeah. And and that was hard. It it was it wasn't easy to deal with that guilt and ultimately as you said, and I, you know, everyone says, and everyone knows is it was her choice. She made the decision. She made the plan. You know, she lied to her parents about how she was getting to school. She lied to us about when she was coming to school. It was a very elaborate plan because she was at that point with her own mental health where she didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And unfortunately that is part of depression you know it it makes you feel so isolated and then also makes you feel so shameful about those feelings so that that was it was very hard to deal with but luckily like I said I was open about it I'm still open about it and of course those feelings of guilt have gone away but you still have that what if, and I think that's with anyone, you know, I'm sure you have it with your mom. What, and, and you talked about, you know, what if the doctors had found it sooner and how would things be different? And I think it's just natural for us to go there, but then that's where we need to just talk ourselves back into into the fact that we can't, we can't change those things, you know? And so it's not worth our energy thinking about them really.
0: Yeah. It's just learning to deal with it and overcome it really. So um Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So is there anything else grief wise you want to touch on? I don't think
1: so. I think we've talked about a lot and yeah. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And I'm really proud of you for starting the podcast. <laughs> Thank and you. yeah, it's not always easy to open up about these things. And you know sometimes it's not easy for other people to listen to them if they haven't gone through it um and so I totally understand that feeling as well but I think it will it will fall into the right ears I hope
0: (laughs) definitely um right so to bring the podcast to a close I like to just do a bit of self-care thing and just want to know what you're going to do today for a bit of self-care and self-love Yes. So
1: today I am definitely going to make it outside. <laughs> I've been studying really hard for a new course, a new certification. Mm-hmm. And so some days I get so into my studies yeah. that I forget to go outside. And so you need the fresh I air need to do that today. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> Good. So and I'm definitely going to do that.
0: Perfect. It's not it's pretty miserable here in London now. So hopefully the weather's a bit yeah. brighter in the West.
1: Uh it's, it's looking a bit gray out there. <laughs> but it'll still be nice to it blow bo- nice. those cobwebs away, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and in the very beginning, you mentioned your podcast. So I definitely want to mention that to the listeners. Um, so obviously, yeah, just kind of pitch your podcast because I think it's a great podcast. And I love that you're so open about helping people deal and overcome the new changes in life and emotions and things like that. So yeah, if you just want to tell the listeners where they can find you and all that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah. I'm on Instagram and that's my favorite social media platform. And my podcast is called charge my core, which is CMC and those initials are Corey's initials. So oh, that wow. is in honor of her and, and you know, a little nod to her in the podcast title and Charge My Core is a podcast about self-discovery. And so it's all about how you can take your life experiences and get to know yourself better. And I think there's so many podcasts that talk about self-improvement and, you know, business and health and wellness and social media. And I think a lot of times it can seem very overwhelming, like all of these things I need to change and do and fix. Yeah. And... Charge My Core is really about observing who you are at your core and thinking about as well how much technology plays a role in who you are, how you define yourself, and where you're at with your, you know, your mental health as well. So that's kind of what I'm studying at the moment is digital wellness and tech life balance. And I'm really obsessed with the topic. So (laughs) if you are interested in that, if you feel like, you know, you're having a hard time navigating who you are, I think it's just a very different style of podcast. And it's not trying to tell you how to live. It's trying to show you how to
0: listen to yourself perfect it's exciting definitely everyone else should go and have a listen because I've thoroughly enjoyed it I've got a few more to catch up on but I love it so far Um, awesome so yeah I just really want to say thanks for sharing your story and thanks for letting Corey's memory live on through this platform um yeah so thanks for joining me thank you so much Emma once again thank you for listening follow us on Instagram at the girl with grief for episode updates blog posts and much more Also, don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcast. See you next episode.